0: Alright. Welcome to uh my podcast. Um so far I haven't got a title for it yet. I was thinking maybe Pickett's Pod, but that's also kind of like the sort of thing your dad would make. Oh Pickett's Pod. Anyway, here we are. Um so primarily what I want what I'm gonna be doing <laughs> primarily what I'll be doing here is um not movie reviews per se, because um I'm not a critic. Um but I will be you know sort of dissecting movies uh, saying what I like about them what I didn't like about them but it might not be exclusive to movies or tv shows and that kind of thing it may also be a little bit of music or just whatever I feel like talking about it's my podcast so if you don't like what I'm doing with it go listen to a different podcast there's like 20 billion podcasts out there uh, but please listen to my one because you know I'm sure I could do with the views views listens likes I don't know what do people say. Rate, review, subscribe. Anyway, um, there's there was a few films that I wanted to like kick off um, the podcast with, uh, but for various reasons I didn't get around to doing uh, any of them yet. Um, so let's have a little uh, sip of water there. Uh, the first one on the cards. I literally just finished watching it, and I thought, you know, I need to. I need to um vomit my thoughts into a microphone about what it was and it was the movie fresh with um sebastian stan aka bucky from the mcu um and shit what was her name the lead actress in it she didn't have tons of um credits on imdb um just pulling it up now on my mobile daisy edgar jones um fantastic actress um and shout out as well to jojo t gibbs who was in it um they were kind of three the three main driving forces behind behind in front of the camera um <coughs> sorry if i cough sporadically throughout this i'm still getting over a, a bout of covid um i'm fine i just have a cough that's hanging around uh, but everybody in this film was actually fantastic um so a quick you know run through of of people's performances um oh and as well sort of disclaimer for um the podcast where I will be talking primarily about films and TV shows um I'm gonna try and not out outrightly just sort of like spoil the whole thing um but a fair warning for anyone that hasn't seen any of the films I'm talking about in this case fresh. Um, I will be, um, not sort of holding myself back if there's something that I need to talk about or want to talk about that is slightly spoilerific. So, you know, if you're going to be sensitive about hearing spoilers, like I am admittedly myself, very sensitive about hearing spoilers. I try and avoid them at all costs, maybe not the podcast for you, but if you've seen the movies that I will be discussing, uh, each time, then great. You know, you're here for the ride. Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the actors, um, every performance in in the film was fantastic. Like right at the beginning. Um, okay, so pr- primarily it's, it's, it starts off with um, Daisy Edgar Jones' character, Noah. Um, it, it sets it up quite early that she's, you know, sort of uh, playing the dating game, as it were. You know, she's scrolling through some dating app. Um, I don't know if it's a fictional one or, or whatever. It's, it's not Tinder, put it that way. Uh, I think they probably invented it for the film. <coughs> and uh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, she goes on the on the date at the start with this absolute schmuck. And it's like his only scene. And I thought the guy killed it. Um, what's his name? His name, I believe it was Brett Dier. Dier? D-I-E-R? Um, it's the only scene he has in the film. And <laughs> he killed it. He was creasing me up. He was so funny just by being complete pompous pompous he was a complete pompous ass junior um no he was a pompous douche and uh, he absolutely nailed it um yeah just you know saying the say i i've definitely had similar intentions to him in this one specific um uh, sense which is like when you try and say something that in your head you think is a compliment and then it comes out and you know people hear it with their ears and it's not a compliment. Um, he just didn't have the self-awareness to realize that. And throughout the scene, he's just, you know, car crashing the whole day. He's just digging himself into a hole, but he's too obnoxious to uh, to realize it. And then he does that typical kind of like toxic male thing of... I'm going into way too much detail about this opening scene, but it creeps me up. He does this typical kind of like um, toxic male thing at the end where um, when Daisy's character Noah basically says this, you know, we ain't in a match, this isn't going to work kind of thing. Um, he just then sort of, like, gets uh, verbally abusive to her. <laughs> it's just... <coughs> it's so um, typical, and, and straight away you're like, wow, the dating game is awful. Um, but uh, the reason that that scene is so important is because then you, shortly after you get introduced to Sebastian Stan's character, Steve, Um which is ironic because Steve Rogers is Bucky's best friend in the MCU. And now his name is Steve full circle. Um, This is one of the best performances I've ever seen from Sebastian Stan. Um, I've never not been impressed with him. Um, Granted, I kind of have only seen him in the MCU and that really long film. Ah, it was a Tom Holland movie again, but it wasn't an MCU movie and robert pattinson was in it devil all the time i believe maybe um anyway i'm not going to talk about that film right now um but yeah he's he's always hit the mark, Sebastian stan he's always been pretty solid um and this is one of the best performances i've ever seen from him he's really really having fun with the role um you know not in a kind of like chewing the scenery kind of way he's just really like yeah he's he's given it he's going in both barrels you know all guns blazing and he he's killing it uh so props to that dude um but <coughs> sorry again um uh, i distracted myself with my own cough um yeah so um initially when they start you know they're dating and things um he's a very charming character she's a very sweet um endearing woman but then obviously you know um because of that opening scene it's very apparent early on that she's also quite headstrong and she's comfortable being single she's not like some desperate lost lamb looking for love um like you're gonna have to be a pretty exceptional dude to like win her favor you know props to her um You know, she's a well-written character in that way is kind of what I mean. Uh, So he comes in all sort of suave and charming and cheeky and funny. um, And like, this is kind of apparent throughout the entire film that they are such sort of like sweet and charming and funny and endearing characters, all of them to a degree, all of them are um, written this kind of way um that it's a huge juxt- juxtaposition if i can get my mouth around those words it's a huge juxtaposition between um where the story goes and the things that unfold <coughs> sorry i keep leaning away from the mic like that um chocolate rain like him so that i'm not coughing into the into the mic but i'm pretty sure it's still picking it up so i'm this is the last time I'm going to say sorry for it. Otherwise, it's going to happen for the next however long this podcast goes on for. So, yeah, my bad. I'm coughing. Get over it. I had the world's most infectious disease. Um, anyway, yeah. So, as things progress, you know, they're dating and whatnot. I'm not going to give you a complete play-by-play of the movie because you watch the movie. But um, it gets... Ah, oh, this is what I thought was really bold as well. Okay, so for the first half an hour, it's perfect rom-com material. You know, like I said, everyone's cheeky, charm, charming, happy, all that kind of thing. And then literally, I, I, I pressed um, the button on the remote to see how far the movie had gotten into because it, it occurred to me earlier on that there hadn't been an opening credit sequence or a title sequence or anything like that. Um, and then so it starts happening literally 33 minutes into the film. And I I don't know. Initially, I sort of thought like that's a really bold move. I don't know if it was a if it was in the script that it would go down that way, or if it was an editing choice, or if it's something that the, that the director deliberately wanted to do. Uh, Mimi Cave, I believe that's how you say their name. Mimi Cave, the director. Um, <coughs> yeah. Um, so thirty three minutes into the film, the title credits happens. And that's when the film takes a turn. And my God. You go from just being enamored by like these the likability of these characters. To just kind of like a harrowing sense of dread and fear. And oh dear God, what are we watching? Um, because ultimately it transpires that. For all intents and purposes, that is the expression, isn't it? Intents and purposes? Cause f- Some people say intensive purposes, and I think that's wrong. Anyway, um, I'm not a English lit or language student, so I don't know about that one. Anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so for all intents and purposes, old Sebastian Stan, Sebby Stan, um, Steve, as he's known in the film, turns out to be a cannibal uh <laughs> you know very much in the Hannibal Lecter-esque kind of way you know he's very meticulous with his meal preparation and he's obviously a very you know sort of experienced gourmet kind of chef you know um which initially I was like oh well that's just kind of taking leaves out of Hannibal's book you know it's a shame they didn't try and do something a little bit more original with him as a character and then I thought you know, as the film progressed and, you know, you learn a little bit more about why he's doing the things he's doing and why he is the way he is. Um I but I've only ever seen the main Hannibal movies, you know, um, all the way from Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal the sequel, and then Red Dragon the threequel, that's actually a prequel. And also Hannibal Rising, which is a prequel to the prequel to the original and then the sequel. Because Hollywood, right? <laughs> Um, Oh, and then I did see the first ever episode of the Hannibal TV show as well. Anyway, um, the reason I'm bringing all of that up is because um, I've seen various clips on YouTube of um, the Hannibal TV show and him being a really meticulous chef. And then obviously that's um, made apparent as well in Hannibal with Anthony Hopkins, you know, prepping meals I think there's a great scene with Ray Liotta. Spoiler alert! There's a great scene with Ray Liotta in that Hannibal movie, uh, where he serves him his own brain, <laughs> which is just dark. Um, so yeah, uh, I I I did think it was a bit sort of like cheap initially. Initially, I thought it was cheap that he was also, you know, a really kind of meticulous chef in that regard. Um, I thought, oh, you know, it's a shame they didn't. Take him somewhere else with it. But then it occurred to me that if you are going to eat people, essentially, and you're not doing it in a kind of like post-apocalyptic... weird, If you're trying to do it in a way that is presented in this film where he's essentially supplying a kind of like black market of rich, you know, that, that real like 1% elite type asshole... You know, um, if anyone's ever seen Squid Game, you know, the the billionaire VIP guests in in Squid Game, that kind of client um, that he's supplying human meat to um, and consuming some himself. So if you were going to do it in that kind of way, you would probably be a very um, passionate chef, which he is in the film. So, you know, it's it's. It serves it well and it's it's not uh, just a cheap imitation of Hannibal Lecter um plus as well the way that Steve is written as a character is like I said he's very sweet and charming and funny and he's very high energy he's not he's not playing it Sebastian Stan's not playing it um like Hopkins-esque you know he's not he doesn't have those like long staring unblinking eyes and that strange tone to his voice he's very likable and um like i say high energy um so he does put a completely unique spin on it really the only parallels that you can draw between uh his character and hannibal's character is the fact that they both eat meat and they're both very you know um gourmet kind of chefs <coughs> so anyway uh that's the kind of uh reveal um for his character and things um and then it ends up i don't know if it's stockholm syndrome is the right word for it but it kind of goes down that route where he so he entraps this woman um and it is very you know buffalo bill in silence of the Lambs esque. Uh, he's He's got um, Daisy, well, Noah is the character, Daisy is the actress. He's got her, you know, he, he takes it takes her to his house for dinner. She doesn't think anything's going wrong. There's a couple of red flags that, as an audience member, initially you're like, hmm, something's going wrong here. Um, but she doesn't pick up on them. She's charmed by this dude, you know. They've been seeing each other for however long. I don't think the film ever says how long their sort of, like, dating uh, period is before she goes to his house. But she ends up at his house. Um, He spikes her drink. She falls asleep. uh, Wakes up handcuffed in this room with a lockable door. You know, uh, so she's trapped. And then he just... oh, Dude, so this is when you've you you 1st see like a proper sort of change in his character you know um he's sat across from her in this chair he's not lit very well so it looks dark and mysterious and ominous um and he's just talking very plainly and matter-of-factly about the situation that she's in um in the in the sense that he he tells her out outright that like i'm i'm gonna take your meat and sell your meat and and that kind of thing um and obviously she freaks out she does a fantastic job as an actress of responding to that kind of like you know that wtf concept because that's crazy as a put yourself in that position now you may struggle to because it's so unfathomably ridiculous um not ridiculous in an insulting sense to the the story and the the film but you know it's it's an outlandish concept and she does a fantastic job so good for her um yeah so and then from that point on you're just you're just you know uh, presented with all these like disgusting scenarios and horrible images you know there's a moment where um he's uh, Sebastian Stan's Steve is is prepping a limb of one of his other victims uh you know and it's quite obviously a limb of one of the victims i believe it's like the leg it's like the thigh and the calf kind of thing no foot on the end and he's going through the motions of what you would expect from a gourmet chef you know he's like slicing the the chunks off of it and he's like tenderizing the meat with one of those mallets with the 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 bumps and the spikes on them you know one of those meat tenderizing mallets i don't know what it's called i've been vegan for fucking four and a half years so and as well like it's it's already hard to watch it's hard enough to watch when you don't really like meat (laughs) but it's like I'd imagine it it would be hard for anybody to watch because it's cannibalism um but like I was saying uh near the start of this podcast everything is presented to you with light and color and levity and not in a not in a parody parody kind of way not um you know like in a take, it's not taking itself seriously kind of way the film does take itself seriously and that's not to its detriment it's a very good thing Um, but what i mean in the sense of like the levity and the lightness is that the the cinema the cinematography in a sense of like color and lighting is all very bright and warm all the especially when you're in steve's house all the tones are very warm and bright and it's it doesn't have that kind of like dark, eerie, um, atmospheric kind of coldness to it that you might expect from a film about kidnapping people and eating them. You know, uh, like if you—I don't know if maybe it's just because it's a bit older and it's a bit grainier as a result. But something like *Silence of the Lambs*, where it is—you know—when you're in Buffalo Bill's house, it's dingy and it's dark and it's gritty and it looks like you're in a dungeon or even uh david finch's seven you know everything's gritty and dark and i'm using the same adjectives over and over and phew, i don't care it's i'm recording this at 10 to midnight so you know i'm not going to be firing on all cylinders um it doesn't have that 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 dark kind of almost gothic um grungy aesthetic it's all bright and colorful and then he's uh steve is such an energetic charming character with you know like a a big toothy grin and a sparkle in his eye and stuff that if it was if the if the content of that film was anything other than you know cannibalism and kidnapping it would be the perfect recipe for a sitcom because it is so bright and colorful and happy. Um so it kind of it's a great juxtaposition between what you are actually watching you know with all this gore and violence and chaos that's happening and it's there were there were so many points throughout it where I was like laughing nervously because some of the dialogue is very funny um some of the way the scenes play out or you know just his kind of um like I said, matter of fact approach where it's, it's not like, like, again, it's not like Hopkins in its sense that it's like monotone and unnerving, but he's just like, yeah, so, you know, life didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to, but now you're here and you're gonna gradually get eaten. It's just like you're watching it. Well, I was watching it like, what? Um, what? Huh? Huh? This is, this is so heavy and unnerving And kind of scary. But I couldn't turn away. Because I was just. They invite you into the film. With a warm smile. (laughs) And you know. A glass of wine. They're like. Hey come sit down by the fire man. We're just going to eat some people. It's so bizarre. It's an absolute. Like. I was going to say it's a treat. It's an absolute treat. I don't know if that's the right word. (coughs) But it's an. (coughs) Jesus. Bear with me. Uh, I I hope the gain isn't too high, by the way, because I'm not trying to do any, you know, ASR type thing where you can hear me glug down a sip of water like, "Mm, mm, mm, yes, I don't want to don't mean to be doing that. But this is the first one. So the first podcast of of these that I'm doing these movie based podcasts. So I don't want to uh, basically, basically, there's gonna be a lot of trial and error. It might, uh, it might sound crap. But, you know, we'll live and we'll learn and just don't listen to it a second time if it's bad the first time, okay? Uh, Where was I? So, yeah, the levity and the brightness and the colour of the the film just... See, I don't don't know if this was an artistic choice of the filmmakers to have it so bright and colourful and kind of set out its own stool of how you can present this kind of story, like I say, in comparison to films like seven or silence of the lambs um i don't know if it was their creative choice to do that or i don't know if maybe if they didn't go down that route and they did lean into the the darkness and the grittiness of it um you know in even in a way similar to the new batman movie um if they lent into it with that kind of aesthetic because the rest of the subject matter is so heavy and dark in and of itself you know it's kidnapping and it's cannibalism uh, because that is also dark and heavy i don't know if this film would have been allowed to be made if it had like lent into it and that kind of um i was gonna say realism but that's not true that's not uh, uh, the correct word because it is uh it is a film rooted in realism you know you You could quite easily see everything that happens in the film happening in real life. God forbid, I hope it doesn't. But, you know, um, (laughs) what I mean is it's not cartoony or, or fictitious in that kind of way. It is very much grounded in reality, but it's just it's. Like I say, with the lighting and everything that's presented to you in such a sort of bright, warm way that it it makes it easier to digest. Oof, shouldn't say digest if we're talking about cannibalism. It may, it makes it easier as a viewer to, you know, stomach what's uh, w- the horrors that you're seeing on screen. <laughs> it's um, yeah, because there were so many times throughout it where I was just like, "Jeez, this film is heavy. Oh my god, this content is." there's a lot happening here and bear in mind i'm a huge horror fan you know i before i watched fresh i watched um alien covenant where you've got aliens biting people's heads off and whatnot so bursting out of people's stomachs and stuff you know so i'm not squeamish when it comes to gore it's just the fact that I'm one of those people that whenever I watch a film, be it a horror film or a comedy or whatever it is, um, I, I take the ride of the film, you know. So um I heard actually Bill burr talk about this on his podcast, um the Monday morning podcast. Uh which if you like Bill Burr and you haven't listened to it, it's hilarious, listen to it. Um, he said this is exactly how I feel, so this is why I'm gonna repeat it. Um he was saying that like You know, if he's watching a horror movie, he's not sat there going, oh, that's fake. The the jump scare is going to come here and that kind of thing. Like, oh, that's not that's not scary. I can tell that that's a, you know, whatever. Um, I'm very much the same. Like, I, I, I just invest into whatever we're being presented with. So if there's tension and there's atmosphere that leads to a jump scare, I Bite in heavily to the tension in the atmosphere. So that when the jump scare comes. I'm like. "What?" You know. I, I I, take the ride of the film. <clears throat> and the same if it's a comedy. I, I, want, I want every joke. And every punchline to make me laugh. Uh, because that's the point of watching a fucking comedy. You watch it to make you laugh. And as far as I'm concerned. You should watch a horror movie. To be scared. So there's no point trying to act tough and hard and oh, all that wasn't scary If it wasn't scary it wasn't scary that means the film was a bad horror film but if the film makes you scared it means it was an exceptional horror film so that well that's my view on on these things anyway um shit where was i going with that point before that tangent uh so there's a chance i'm gonna cut here and then jump back in in a bit when i can remember what i was talking about um i've got a feeling it was along the lines of the juxtaposition so yeah so i'm watching this film um you know yes that was it um, i'm i'm watching it in the sense that i'm buying into and and not quite putting myself in the shoes of those characters but you know you are trying to sort of treat it as though it is fully real in the sense that oh my god this is actually happening to this person you know they have been kidnapped they are you know day by day or week by week or whatever having chunks of them taken off of them and you know fried up with caviar um it's it's grim dude it's so grim i'm laughing nervously again about it i'm not trying to make light of cannibalism it's just like oh man shit i'm actually watching this film do this thing this dark twisted hideous thing um yeah so perhaps um it was a decision of the filmmakers to present it lighter and and bubblier and happier but again not in a uh fictitious or parody kind of way um just for the fact that they could actually get the film made because i don't know i don't i don't these days i feel like um you know the, the certificate rating system um where i believe especially in america i don't know if it was the same for the uk but especially in america they used to have um obviously like 15 18 and x or i believe they call it r it's like 15 r and and x Um, and X used to be the sort of films that would be banned you know Uh, I believe Exorcist was banned when it came out Um, or they have a really limited release like I think when the first alien movie came out it was X and I think that means it's a super super limited release um, or maybe isn't available in some states or regions or whatever so I don't know how <clears throat> strict uh because i feel like things are more relaxed these days you know films that were an 18 in the 70s or 80s would now probably be like a 12a or a 15 things do seem to be a lot more relaxed um and i'm not too up on how they rate things these days because i'm i'm gonna be 29 soon so you know i don't i can watch wherever i want <laughs> i'm an adult now <laughs> don't need your permission um yeah so i don't know i don't know i but I feel like there would be a high chance that if they didn't lean into the warmness, bubbliness and lightness that they kind of do from time to time to time, um, that there's probably a really good chance that it it either wouldn't get made or parts of it would have to be really heavily whittled down so that they could make it. Ah, oh, that reminds me of one of my favorite examples of, like, whittling something down is what the, uh, Trey Parker and Matt, I want to say Matt Stone, the South Park guys, ah, oh, why well, can't I remember his name? Matt and Trey, I know it's Matt and Trey, I just can't remember Matt's last name. Um, what they did with Team America, uh, you know, the infamous puppet sex scene, they were so concerned, well, I don't know if they were so concerned, I can't speak for them, but I believe the story goes that they were concerned that that scene was going to get cut by you know the studio or the certificate board or whoever can decide that that what they did was filmed the most insane sex scenes that went on and on and on so you know i think what you end up seeing in the film is just like you know without getting too graphic you get kind of like missionary doggy style 69 in that kind of stuff with puppets (coughs) and it's hilarious but I think what they actually did was filmed like way above and beyond that they I think they filmed like the puppets shitting on each other and like pissing on each other (laughs) and just like crazy diabolical sex acts is what they filmed so that when they presented it to you know the studio or whoever gets to you know put the kibosh on stuff that they can't get away with they were like absolutely not no and they were like okay well if we get rid of xyz and then we just have this left this being what you end up seeing in the film that was you know more palatable for the um the executives to sign off on so you know they kind of trojan horse them in a way um you know, they they only wanted what you see in the film anyway. That's all they ever wanted, but they knew that that was going to be a hard sell, so they made it an even harder sell with the other stuff. I think you get the point I'm making. Um, <coughs> Jesus, that one. That one came up red. I turned right away, and that one came up red on the little dial, you know. If uh, if anyone's ever done any recording of their own, you get get that sound. I don't know what you call it you get that sound bar where it tells you if you're going over the, you know, what, what sounds good. This isn't important. Um, so yeah, so perhaps the creators of Fresh, um, did something similar in, in just making it more likely to get passed by executives and, and, you know, actually seen, cause it's on Disney plus man. It's, you know, I mean, I know there's some pretty out there stuff on Disney plus. It's not all, animation and uh you know mcu and star wars there is a lot of 18 rated things on there but still (laughs) it's a film about eating people (laughs) um i really really liked it i i genuinely thought it was a really really good movie um and uh, talk quickly about the cinematography well it doesn't have to be quickly it can be as long as i bloody well want it to be As my podcast um the cinematography was really cool um a lot of really interesting shots you know i really like i really like uh watching food being prepared um you know films like chef uh which i won't talk too much about because i think i want to do a separate podcast about chef but that has a lot of uh beautiful food prep moments um and again you know like i said those scenes from the hannibal tv show some gorgeous food prep moments um so there's a lot of that in this uh but then there's also just like really quirky unique kind of uh shots throughout it you know it's um the cinematographer's having fun you can tell you know they're all having a they're all flexing their creative muscles as it were you know they're all they're all really giving it some um like you know typically if you see a scene of um you know two people sat at a table having having dinner even if they're not sat opposite each other and they're sat sort of um perpendicular so is that right if they're 90 degrees if they're 90 sat at a table you know on the corners 90 degrees is that perpendicular i believe it is but i'm not smart so you know um typically i feel like you would film it so that you you know so say you've got um on the one face you've got um uh Daisy's character Noah sat there, and then obviously sort of on her right hand side but perpendicular you've got Sebastian Steve, normally you would film that if you wanted to do what they would call her close up or uh her dirty single, which so a single is when you just have the there's if anyone's a filmmaker or anything and I'm telling you how to suck eggs just ignore me but anyone else that doesn't know you might find this interesting um a single is when it's just focusing on that one person and a dirty single is when the frame is slightly uh the the other actor in that scene or actors or whatever um when they're somewhat visible on the scene you know they dirty the single if that makes any sense if i haven't explained this well google it um so normally you would have a, a dirty single where you'd have you know, the profile of Steve and then the face-on of Daisy, um, Noah, sorry, Noah's the character. I'm going to try and use the character names, but um, I haven't been throughout this last 36 minutes, so, you know, um, yeah, you'd normally have it like that, you know, the profile on his, on the side of the screen, creating the dirty and then the the single on her um, in the sort of main shot of the, of the, of the shot. Um but with this with one of the dinner scenes that they had they kept filming daisy from the profile as the single but then dirtying it with like the back of uh steve you know like his back and and back of his head and you know sort of shoulders and stuff like that so you're not seeing him at all and then when they would do steve's single again daisy would would dirty it with her back and shoulders um stuff like that um i just find it really kind of unique it's a bit i don't i don't really know how it made me feel it wasn't unsettling because the atmosphere and the tension and uh, the subject matter of the film already made it unsettling you know she's sat at a table with a cannibal and at this point in the story she knows full well that he is a cannibal and he is i think he's already taken chunks off of her at this point um but it's yeah i don't know maybe the the director and the cinematographer were just trying to uh make it less human because you can't see his face so it's less human he's more i guess kind of monstrous in that way without without you know dark music playing in the background like dum-dum none of that shit but then they also did it to her as well when they would focus on on steve so i'm not really sure what they were trying to say uh, but that's one of those things is up to the interpretation of the audience member anyway you tell me in the comment section how that made you feel i don't know if i'm gonna have a comment section at this point um i'm just speaking into the abyss and (coughs) yeah so there was a lot of unique shots like this um there's another one where he was um, he was pushing some kind of trolley, I think, if I remember rightly. And the camera was sat on the trolley and being taken around the shot that way. Um, you know, which I really like when the ca- the camera becomes a kind of character in that sense that it, it takes you through the scene. And not just in the sense of like a, you know, a, a steady cam kind of thing not just like that but when it becomes like an object in and of itself because on that shot it's like the the trolley is the camera um there's a really good opening scene uh, from what's that Nick Cage movie Lord of War Lord of War not the greatest film but the opening sequence is fantastic it basically shows you um uh the sort of production of uh, I think it's just bullets I haven't seen this film for a while so I might be completely butchering this but it's like the the production of bullets like from factory to you know the gunpowder going in the cartridge to being boxed up to being shipped across to i think it ends up being um opened by like the terrorists or something <laughs> or maybe maybe it gets opened by nicholas cage and his crew and then gets sold to terrorists or something like that but f- the whole sequence is done from the perspective of the bullets and the ammo and things like that so the the camera makes the bullets and of themselves become kind of characters in the film. Um, And it's really, really cool. And there was things like that in Fresh, which I really like. It's just a, it's, it's a more inventive, creative, enjoyable from the viewer perspective way of showing you what's happening instead of literally just having like a kind of stationary shot. Uh, What do they call it? A static shot? I, don't know, I need to brush up on my film lingo again um, instead of just having like a static shot where you see just from you know the side on this is what's happening he's he's wheeling a trolley look at him go putting the camera on the trolley and, and doing it that way is just it's just more fun isn't it um, and I haven't really spoken a lot about the lighting um, or have I? i may have i'm going to speak about it more that was really really good as well because like i say although a lot of the tones of the of the lights were very warm in the sense there's a lot of kind of like oranges and yellows and that kind of thing um every now and then they would uh you know choose how they lit the scene so not so much the tone and the color of the lighting but how the light was setting on the characters themselves um you know how much you're being allowed you're they're allowing you to see of that character you know um that that was they played around with that a lot as well it was really really good like there's a scene where um noah is getting a little bit stockholm well she's not getting stockholm syndrome she's kind of pretending to uh with that again without getting too much away of the story <clears throat> kind of trying to butter steve up so that you know he can drop his guard kind of thing she's playing that angle so she's in she's sat down on a chair and she's you know playing with her hair in the mirror or something and she's talking to him and he's in the background of the shot um and he's not very well lit and it's Bit more sinister and dark and she says something that catches his attention and he does not that he drops his guard because like i say throughout most of the film he's a very pleasant sweet charming guy even when he's talking to her about eating her um but he you can tell that he when he walks over to her um so he's not very well lit in the background of the shot and he comes forward into the light and he's lit from underneath so he doesn't have when he comes in from underneath he now all of a sudden doesn't have any harsh shadow lines on his face you know his face is very sort of um clean in that respect which always makes the viewer subconsciously or at least i think it's meant to or at least it does for me it always makes the viewer feel that that character is not threatening um and there's you know there's there's a a good use of like i guess it would be some sort of ring light or something to put a sparkle in his eyes you know so it's it's uh it's not threatening but then there are times like when when she first wakes up after having been drugged in in his house when he then starts to tell her about the predicament that he's put her in um when he sat over on on the chair when she's just sort of coming round he's he's lit i believe it would be from above um and it's it creates those harsh lines and those harsh shadows on his face you know so you can't really see his eyes his his cheekbones are more prominent but then his cheeks themselves are darker don't know if i'm explaining it well but using goddamn imagination um that creates a more sort of sinister threatening kind of vibe you know that harsh lighting thing um not not in the same way that they used to do in the uh i believe it would be the 50s or the 60s with the black and white noir i believe they always used to do this thing where um women would be lit softly so there's no harsh lines and then the men would be lit <clears throat> i don't know what you call it harshly so they have those hard shadow lines and those hard things on that um because yeah, Hollywood was incredibly sexist and is kind of still a bit, I guess, I suppose, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to get into a that kind of conversation right now. Um, yeah, so not in that kind of way, in just the sense of, like, lighting people in a certain way for the sake of lighting them in a certain way. It's all done very intentionally. You know, when when he's being sinister or... Well, that's the thing he, he in an, his actions are sinister but his delivery and his um portrayal aren't sinister like i say they're all very nice and charming but even so he is still written uh sorry he is still lit yeah he is still why did i struggle with a three-letter word i was gonna say lighted he's still lighted to look mean and scary um but yeah so excellent use of flying throughout the film um the the sets in and of themselves are not limited um they don't they don't need to to show you tons you know it's it's not like phone box uh sorry phone booth the colin farrell movie in the sense that it's more or less all by that phone booth on the corner of the street um but because the the fundamental sort of crux of the film is captivity and you're witnessing most of the film from uh noah's perspective so where she is captive for most of the film you are kind of you spend most of it in his house steve's house um so set wise there's not tons going on but one of the best things about a good theater show is the use of space um and that's something that this film does really well is the use of space, because it could, it, it, not that it would be lazy, because it would be a bold artistic choice to really limit the space in the sense that you probably don't see too much outside of like, uh, the room that Noah's in. But this film does let you go outside of it. Pardon me, you you see you know Noah cooking, not Noah cooking, Steve cooking in the kitchen, um, dancing around the house like that tom cruise movie where he dances in his underpants what bloody movie is that i don't even think i've seen that um you know and there's obviously things uh prior to her predicament you know going on a date with him to this cocktail bar and that kind of thing um but the use of space within the house is is very good there's a couple of times that they have uh dinner together despite the fact that she's captive i won't go into the sort of story reasons why again like i say although i am spoiling things i'm trying to keep the spoilers as low as possible um but some things i have to spoil just for the fact that i'm talking about this film um but yeah and we we you know we do get to move around different locations within the house um and as well they do do a really nice thing um with uh, for noah where the, like i say about she's trying to convince him that she's sort of developing some kind of stockholm syndrome so that he'll drop his guard a little bit um anytime he's sort of like not looking directly at her uh, her character is you know looking where the nearest windows are where the nearest door is where are the exits are there any cooking knives nearby that she's constantly scanning and it you you really root for her at least i did i was really rooting for her you know from an audience perspective like yeah you you figure that shit out oh there's a big meat cleaver over there don't forget where that is because you're gonna you know you wanted you want her to succeed and they drop these little breadcrumbs throughout the um throughout the film of ways that she might succeed you know so it's uh very good very good use of the set and the scenery and the layout and i don't know if it was all the same house you know what hollywood's like it could have been six different houses and you know they cut it together and and use similar decor so that you think it's all the same place um, but it very well could have been the same place a bloody lovely house if it was the same place i tell you that <coughs> so yeah, the the lighting and the scenery and stuff. What else was I going to talk about? I probably should have made some sort of notes. But like I say, you know, this is the first one I'm doing of these. So it's going to be what it's going to be. And we've been here for nearly an hour. So 59 minutes and 29, 30, 31. Uh, anyway. Uh... Something much more than i actually did want to say about it um i guess story beats wise like I, you know i sort of spoke <coughs> about the beginning in the sense that it's very rom-commy up until the first half an hour you get really offbeat title sequence oh i don't think i i rounded out what i was going to say about the title sequence but i just thought it was very bold And kind of like yeah we're gonna do things our own way you know uh, for them to actually have that credit sequence 30 minutes in i was i really sort of like thought you know fair play good on you from the the creator's perspective just to completely do left field stuff because normally you get a credit sequence either as soon as the film opens or maybe like you know five minutes in or maybe after the first scene um, but yeah, no, they completely just went, eh, you'll get the credits when you get the credits, mate. They're coming half an hour and ready or not. Um, yeah. Uh, so story beat wise, <coughs> a good few plot twists throughout, which I'll try not to spoil. Um, and they're all, uh, character driven you know, um, like the story beats and things are all character driven, it's not like, um, you know if you watch some horror movies or things and the the killer's blatantly like hiding in this dark space and one dickhead will be like, I'm gonna go down here by myself and you're just like, don't, don't do it, don't open that door, don't go in that room, oh, now you're dead, you just think, idiot, no one would have done that. Um, It's, all, all the things that happen and you know the the past that the characters take and the the twists and turns are all done uh in you know off the back of believable character behavior um which i really appreciate um and that's one of my favorite things about tarantino is that he does that constantly throughout the film which i think is why his films can get so wacky but <laughs> I'm gonna talk about Tarantino a lot throughout these podcasts. <coughs> so I'll park that bus there while it's there because I'm definitely gonna do a Tarantino special or at least, you know, just talk about one of his films for a whole podcast kind of thing. Um and the 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 climax of the so you know, again, going back to the plot points of Fresh, um and the beats and the story and everything, um, really satisfying climax. That's don't snigger at that satisfying climax uh no (laughs) it was it was because there's nothing worse than you know being really sort of um entranced in a film and really enjoying all the beats and everything and it and it not deliver at the end and it does deliver so it's good um would recommend if you can stomach it because like i say it's it's heavy themes and it's heavy concepts and it's probably not for the faint hearted. Um, but it's not anything close to being some kind of snuff movie or some kind of like torture porn, like hostile, you know, do you remember when torture porn was a, was like all the rage, you had all those hostile films coming out, the Saw franchise was pumping out movies left, right and center. You had a Serbian movie, which I, I, refuse to watch um i've heard what happens in that film i don't need to see it i'm good i like sleeping at night funnily enough um but yeah so it's it's not torture porn-esque it's it's very well done it's a very well made movie um but you know if you're squeamish watch bambi or something um oh Paddington those are films I need to apparently the Paddington movies are amazing and I haven't watched them yet so maybe I'll hit those up soon and talk about them but yeah that's my not really review of fresh I don't know what you call it review breakdown um critique whatever I just like talking about films okay um and maybe my analysis yeah let's call it analysis maybe my analyses will get better as these podcasts go on maybe they'll get worse maybe they'll stay the same and i'll show no progression in myself as a person but (laughs) um yeah so this is this is me signing off um i hope you enjoyed it um if i've got anything set up by the time you hear this in a sense of you know like rate review subscribe that kind of stuff Uh, do it share it with your friends share it with your family um or don't i don't care i can't tell you what to do i'm literally just doing this because i like talking about films so in a bit